Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music, hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. Today's guest is the rock comedy duo, Tenacious D. We realized, oh, we're we're funny rockers. We can (laughs) rock if it's funny. (laughs) That was the key to opening the door. That was the way in. We had to let the audience know You know, obviously, we're not real. (laughs) That was the only way to make our dreams come true. Tenacious D, in a wacky conversation, I got to speak with the two founders, members, only two guys to ever be in Tenacious D, Jack Black and Kyle Gass. They're a couple of actors, they're a couple of comedians, they're a couple of musicians, they're a couple of guys with very unique takes on the world and what music and what comedy and what acting and what theater is. They, um, you know, take on a rhythm all on their own. They do their thing. These guys have done a lot. You know, they, they do rock tours. They put out albums. They play arenas. They had an HBO variety show. They made a, a movie, The Pick of Destiny, which I find to be an incredible film. And, uh, you know, they're putting up web series and stuff. They're rocking. They're smart as can be. They love to rock. They're really good musicians. And they are a unique and powerful force of nature. In our conversation, we speak about, you know, the early things that got them going. They both, you know, the Beatles was the thing that got them both. They both came to music in different kind of roundabout way, not specifically as just wanting to be musicians, but, you know, theater, comedy, acting, music, playing characters. Kyle played flute when he was a kid, and now he plays recorder. Jack likes to play piano. He played piano first when he was a kid, but singing is his thing. And, you know, Jack is a funny and talented singer, and I love it. I like Tenacious D. It's a pleasure to speak with them. Rock on, gentlemen. There you have it. Here you have it. You will have it. You're going to get it. Tenacious D. Is my head as giant to you guys as it is to me? (laughs) No. No, but the headphones are super beefy on the they they're the widest of the of the headphones. When I googled best headphones made on earth, this is what I got. <laughs> and they've never worked once. Oh my god. The camera can't even contain the width of your headphones. Your headphones are really Princess Leia style, you know what I mean? <laughs> Look, as a man that kidnapped Princess Leia, I think I have the right. Oh my god, did you kidnap Princess Leia when she was a small child? I kidnapped her and took her to a CD nightclub on another planet. 
Oh my God. Wow. Oh my God. Yes, you did. I saw that. I did it. It's the Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. Love it, dude. dude. Love it. I kidnapped Princess Leia and I fought Obi-Wan. You've been in a lot of movies. I've seen you a lot over the years. It's true. You partied with the Cone Brothers. I did. So anyway, so this podcast is specifically about music education to benefit the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school in Silver Lake, Los Angeles, California. And um, so seeing that that's the topic, I wanted to ask both you guys of your first awareness of music when you were little tykes and oh. like the first time you felt it and felt something, anything. Wow. I love that question. It's quite a great questions. I'm going to let you dive right in, Cage, because I can see you're raring to go. Well, when he said that, it really reminded I'm so old that um, I remember the Beatles first time on Ed Sullivan. I was you do? Four years old. I'm, I was Dang. born in 60. I remember because the television wasn't working very well. And we were like yelling at my dad, you got to fix the TV, dad. So it feels kind of fuzzy, but you know how TV's tv sets were shitty back in the day but wow. uh, i was caught up i had two older brothers so you know you kind of like oh everyone's so excited i'm excited too and uh yeah that was my first kind of like the power of well the rest of the country of course the beatles coming was uh, quite an event dude that's powerful i can't beat that but weirdly my earliest musical awareness memory is also Beatles related, what? but not nearly as good as oh. that. I wasn't around for that, but I was a little kid in Hermosa Beach, I'm a little older than four. I think I was six. And it's the first time I, I remember hearing a song on the radio and liking it. Mm. It was I Want to Hold Your Hand. Oh my God. By the Beatles. Like 75. They're getting it later. And it just, it was a, it was just a magical um, feeling. That hit my brain through my ears, and uh, I was transported, and it was like I was uh, in a state of euphoria, and I needed to hear it again. And in my six-year-old brain, I was just like, oh, I know. If I listen to the radio at the same time tomorrow, the song will come on. That's, that's probably how radio Dude, works. I think I did that same thing. Everything's on a schedule, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I listened the next day at the exact time, cause I, and it did not play, but... But yeah, it was that it was that early Beatles. Wow. I want to hold your hand. Did you feel like when you heard it that you had an idea what was going on? Like did it like you think, "Oh, it's a guitar and it's a drummer and it's a guy singing and who are they and what are they?" You know, like did you have a concept of what it was, how how it worked? I just I feel like I had even though I was 6, I already kind of understood the concept of like, "Oh, that girl i sure wish i could hold her hand and i was like oh my god they're singing a song about that feeling when you wish you could hold a hand because <laughs> you like someone yeah but you're too shy to do it you would never ask but it was like it was like i was they were communicating with me in a way and uh and they captured the the feeling of of longing and love and and in musical form it was very powerful so they were sending you messages all like charlie manson in the White House. They sent me messages saying, I understand your schoolboy crush. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make it. The song like had all the feelings. Like Listening to the song felt like love. It felt like, oh, it was very powerful. Yeah. I had similar, but for me, it was the, um, 
I had the Peter Max illustrated songbook oh, of the White Album. Yeah. And I, you know, the first music I liked was jazz because that was what I heard in my house that I fell in love with and mm. like saw my stepdad playing with his guys. But I had this songbook and I would sit there and, you know, Peter Max, you know, you guys are, you know, know Peter Max is this great yeah, psychedelic yeah. pop artist in the 60s. And he did this great illustrated lyric book. And it had all these Beatles songs with these incredible drawings. And I would just imagine going into the drawings and hear him do it. And it just took me to this magical land of, of where anything was possible. Like all of a sudden, all the rules that were intimidating or constricting went away. And it was so, you know, like that, I like that feeling of saying, oh, I want to hold her hand too. It was that like, <laughs> oh, I want to be a fucking freak also. Yeah. 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 Do you remember how you felt when you, with the Beatles, Kyle? Like, you talk about like seeing it. Like I don't specifically, but I like remember listening to the out, al- you know, back in the vinyl days, just like uh, studying those vinyls. Like I remember Bob Dylan's greatest hits was around. I just, just would stare at that picture and the, the liner notes and stuff. But yeah, I don't remember the exact feelings. I think I just got caught up in the excitement. Excitement's a good one. Because everyone else was excited. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. I'm into this. Then that doesn't really sound like you're you're really answering the question. You're just ex- you're just uh, I'm explaining that I don't time. remember the feeling. Yeah, but I'm sorry, Kyle. I'm sorry to drill down on this, but yeah, it sounds like Please. what you're doing is explaining uh, the first time that you felt swept up by other people's love of music, and you're yeah. like, "Me too, me too." Yeah. When was the first time you heard a song that you were like, "Oh, hmm. it was the song that." that touched you yeah. and not being swept up by somebody else's passion. All right. All right. That's a good question. I think it was, uh, we watched, we went and actually saw a hard day's night. And I remember feeling pretty moved in there. I forget which song was it. I bet uh, it was hard day's night. That was, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Cause it's opens the movie. Cause she'd been sleeping like a log. Is yeah. that the lyric? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was exactly the one. Yeah. You know what? That's another song about love, right? She Make Me Feel All Right. I think that they've had a lot of songs about love, the Beatles. Yeah. That was kind of their go-to early. Yeah. They were hitting the universal themes. A really good song feels like you're getting kissed by a love. It feels like love. It feels like the... You know how they say, like, if you eat chocolate, Mm -hmm. that gives your brain the chemical reaction of... The, the feeling of love. Yeah. Same thing with music, a, real, a really good... Chocolate and love are very close. It always yeah. comes down to that, right? Chocolate and music. Mm-hmm. So you both liked the Beatles when you were kids, mm-hmm. and you were struck by the cosmic beam. Yes. Well, what point did music seem like something, ooh, I could play music. I want to know how to do it. I want to uh, be the one making the sound and uh, entertain people with feelings from my heart? Well, how did that come? Well, my, I started playing flute in uh, fourth grade, and it was kind of a tradition in our family. You went to the music store and picked out your instrument. And uh, for some reason, I picked out the flute. Oh, actually, I remember going for the trombone, but it was too big for me. And I thought, well, I really like the sound of flute. But I didn't really associate that I would be teased and bullied before playing the flute as a dude way back in the in the 70s it was that but i so i played flute for a while i kind of enjoyed it but i was never satisfied with my chops uh, and my tone 
And then my brother took me aside. I think I was like seventh grade, and he was, and I was starting to get into girls. And he's like, "Dude, you got to play guitar. You got to get the flute is never going to get you a date. You got it." And he just kind of had the big brother. And I mean, I was into music, and uh, and I did like harmonies and stuff. So it seemed like I didn't. I was sort of done with you. Well, you play trumpet, right? Yeah. And I love the fucking flute. It's fun to not have your mouth on something. The embouchure is not a problem, and you can and you can be more of a rock star. I, you know, the the magic of the flute and the trumpet are things that still uh, touch me. Oh yeah, great instruments. So you started playing the flute. Yeah. And even though your big brother came and thought you could have a more manly pursuit that might endear you to women. Yeah, quite a few years later. Yeah, was, but you uh, but you got you started like knowing what scales were and harmonies and notes and Oh yeah. I had to like read music and, and that whole thing. Yeah. Played in the bands and and uh yeah, it was uh it was fun. I did uh like the music. And then we started playing I guess in California, you know, you gotta play the recorder in fourth grade too. And uh, everybody was down with that. And I was like, wow, I love this instrument. It's so portable. It's fun. And it's easier to play than the flute. So I kind of got into recorder a lot, which I still play on stage sometimes. I, you, you would never admit this, but I, I take credit for you coming out of your recorder and flute shell. Like, I begged you to play recorder for years, and you were like, no, no one wants to hear me play recorder. <laughs> and I was like, it's hilarious, and you're really good at it. And then finally you did, and I was right. It was gold. Dude, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know why it's so magical when Kyle plays flute or recorder? Well, for one thing, he's very good at it. But for another thing, it's the road less traveled by. Whenever you, you, you go up and do something that no one else is doing in a genre, it pops. It peacocks. It's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. It's, uh, it's brave. When you think of the recorder, you don't like virtuosity doesn't really come to mind. <laughs> no. You know, like, That's another. It's like a toy. So it's like if you're playing even half decent, yeah. it's like, whoa, what's he doing with that? Like maybe the melodica, you know, you could get, you could do some shit. But it seems like the recorder is kind of a pretty even playing field. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of, you don't have like, you know, so-and-so does Bach on the recorder. Yeah. But it's got all the notes there, you know. If you, you know, right. they're all available. Right. right. <laughs> no, I love the notes. All twelve, all twelve of them. So, and when you started, when you got to um, guitar, did you switch over to the guitar on your brother's advice? Yeah, yes, I did. And there was just like one guitar. It was kind of the house guitar we had just laying around, kind of an old, crappy classical. But everyone kind of went through it, and then I was like, okay, I'll take it. And then I, uh, I started with classical. There was this book uh aaron Shearer, like classical guitar one and it was really good because it started off super easy and i remember just sort of plowing my way through the entire book but then i really got into i, I don't know why i just uh started wanting to be like a jazz guitarist i thought that was just kind of like whoa i just loved all those crazy chords and and then i got a book by uh, ted green modern chord chemistry and that just blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute. This guy's this guy's insane. There's so many chords to play on the guitar. I'm glad that you're admitting you're a jazz man, Kyle, because I feel like sometimes you hide your jazz. I do. I hide my jazz. Did you love to practice or did you have to be forced to practice or were you totally enthralled? No, I I, I went through that thing like uh couldn't wait to get home to, you know, to play. 
back then. It was, uh, yeah, it was just uh, fascinating and improving. And then, uh, yeah, I enjoyed practicing. We are going to take a quick break. When we're back, the guys talk about finding their literal and figurative voices as musicians and how embracing comedy empowered them to take music seriously. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. So, Jack. Yeah. After you were touched by the Beatles as a small child, and you knew that there were other people in the world who also wanted to hold hands, at what point did you translate the magic of that feeling into wanting to play an instrument yourself and, and starting to play an instrument? How did that work? What got you going? Uh, the first time I... Uh, was introduced to the dark arts of music. Uh, it was, um, there was a lot of fantasizing about being in front of a big crowd and, uh, and I'd listen to music and pretend like I was the singer. And I had this weird fantasy where I could sing out of my mouth, but I could also at the same time sing out of my nostrils to make harmonies. <laughs> and, and people would not just be enjoying the show, but they'd be like, oh. He's a me. He's incredible. <laughs> um, but then my first time that I actually like got, got into music playing an instrument it was piano. I took a year of piano and I practiced a lot. And I, I really my goal was. I wanted to learn the Pink Panther <gasps> and uh, and I did. And once I got that under my belt. That was it. You were done. I. Well, I, I, yeah, I kind of I lost interest. I wished I would have stayed on longer and learned a few more jams. In particular, I would have liked to have learned Moonlight Sonata mm -hmm. by Beethoven. Mm -hmm. That would have been a good one to get under my belt. And also just to get some get some um, like maybe the entertainer or Maple Leaf Rag. Oh, it would have yeah. been great to get some Scott Joplin. Yeah. When I see people playing Scott Joplin. Yeah. Ragtime. And both hands are thing. Yeah, I, that's that blows my mind. But I, 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 I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna like playing the Pink Panther and the Ragtime, the Scott Joplin, you you're gonna have to get a lot of pleasure out of playing the Charlie Brown theme. Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. my jam Vince too. Geraldi? I love that. Oh, those are the best. Schroeder. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. That tickles my bone. Because I had you know I recently started playing the piano, and when the pandemic started. I had the goal of learning the Charlie Brown theme, mm. and uh, I did it. You wow. did it. Nice. It was great. It was so triumphant the first time I really wailed through yeah. it with great vigor. 
I was very happy. Can you play that bass line on the bass? Yeah. That's not that hard. That's like <laughs> it's not it's not that hard. So you start playing the piano, you started playing the flute, and then did you start like Jack, did you from the beginning, did you have an itching to rock? Um I grew up in Hermosa Beach. I'm trying to think like the first time that I really I, the rock didn't come till later. When I was around 10, 11, my, my parents got divorced and my mom lived in this big house. We lived in this big house and she started taking in people that would rent rooms in, in our house. And there was this dude that, that had a good taste in music and he had some good records and he would leave them there when he went to work and I would like play the records when he wasn't there. And I liked uh, Simon and Garfunkel real early on. So it was actually folk that, that got me going first. And he was like, I noticed you were listening to my Simon and Garfunkel, but <laughs> kid, kid, if you really want something good, you should listen to my uh, f- listen to my Fleetwood Mac rumors. And I wasn't that into it. And th- that is definitely more rocking. But I was all about the Simon and Garfunkel for you. And they had a couple jams that were kind of rocking. Like, uh, oh, Cecilia, you're breaking my heart. About broken heart love. But, um. The first time I really started, I started getting into rock kind of with sticks and, um, and who was the other with journey. Those are my <laughs> first two, like forays into rock. And then, uh, and then that answers a lot. That answers a lot. I do have a lot of <laughs> a theatricality. With, yeah. The sticks, there is comedy in there, but, um, oh, you know what? I listened to a lot of like comedy rock actually early on. I like Dr. Demento. Me too. If you grew up in Southern California, you know Dr. Demento was the king. And, and there were some good songs, but funny too. And that was my entree. I always loved the comedy and the. I used to sit by myself and listen to Dr. Demento. Great jams. And uh, yeah, so I think I, I heard my Bologna before I heard my Sharona, weirdly. Like, like I would hear the some of the spoofs of the rock songs before I heard the rock songs. And then there was a kid at school. It was like, oh, yeah, my brother went to see uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall. It's the best album. And that, that I listened to that record early on. And that might have been the first like rock music that I listened to that was really just, uh, yeah, Pink Floyd. They were one of my early jams. When was the uh, Take a Chance? I remember you were really into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was really into ABBA. Yeah, I like that. But that, that was early, too. That was, that, early. Was one of, that was another one of those radio songs that take I tried chance, to listen take to. Chance, take a chance. Um, if you change your mind. You know what was rad about ABBA and Take a Chance is it was a trance. It put you in a little t- mm-hmm. trance that take a chance, take a chance, take a chance, yeah. take a chance. It's kind of like... Uh, uh, new Ooga Buddhism shaka. with a Ooga, Ooga. It, once you, it's one of those things where it, it, you kind of yeah some some music's like that where it it, uh, it puts you into a trance but um anyways yeah and then I started getting into heavy metal a little bit later I got into like Ozzy Osbourne and, and then into Black Sabbath and then Led Zeppelin yeah those that that was kind of my my early rock and days but when you got into those bands and like starting with with simon and garfunkel yeah and cecilia yeah and moving on all the way up to sabbath yeah did you were you playing were you trying to learn it were you like i want to learn how to do this i want to be the one 
No, the first time that I started really playing it and wanting to be, yeah, before I did that, I was, uh, I was into like musical theater in high school. I did some plays, you know, I did Pippin and, uh, a couple other, uh, musicals. I didn't have, I didn't have, uh, a band or anything in high school. I mean, I did try a couple times, but it never really gelled. It never really meshed. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't start playing live rock music really until uh, until later. You sat in with some band though, your friends. Yeah, it wasn't a good experience. Yeah, yeah. we we did play at a party, and it was a miserable failure. Uh, I don't count that. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think I really had a band until uh, Tenacious D. That was really my first band with Kyle. But through that stuff, like having a band that didn't work out and all that stuff, were you wanting to learn how to play? And were you thinking about music and learning music in terms of like, oh, scales and intervals and chords and how those things relate to one another? No. Neither of you guys. <laughs> I didn't. Kyle, you had some experience with that, right? Yeah. No, I actually went to, <laughs> to UCLA as a music major, but completely out of my depth. It was not, I shouldn't have been there. But I just want to say, Jack, when I first uh, was unique in that he didn't really play an instrument, but his voice really was the instrument and just a great singer and did a lot of uh, four tracks and just kind of was like, whoa, it was kind of blowing my mind. What a good musician you were without really playing an instrument. And I was fascinated, like, wow, yeah, you're, you do. You, you play the voice. Yeah. I did do a lot of four track and, and acapella jams. And uh, yeah, uh, Bobby McFerrin was one of my heroes. I saw him on TV at the Grammys one time and he was making his voice sound like a saxophone or a trumpet or something. And, and uh, I was just like, oh my God, I want to be that guy. That's probably the closest thing to that playing out of your nose, singing out of yeah, your nose. Exactly. Terms. I was thinking it that. Was it was exactly weird. my fantasy. He was, he's doing it. He's a miracle because that's a, that's the kind of reaction he would get. He was like, uh, "Tell the story when you went and saw him and you volunteered." I went and saw him. He was playing at UCLA one time at Royce Hall, and and uh, he would ask for volunteers from the audience because he was like, "Does anyone sing here? Come up on stage if you sing." I just need eight people, and I was like running. <laughs> I was sprinting. I had the worst seats in the house, but. <laughs> It was shameful because I was like pass. I was passing people. They were run. They were running too, but I was running Blocking faster. Throwing some I had elbows. To be, I had to win the race. Well, because I had dreams that he was gonna say, "I want you to travel with me and be my singing <laughs> protege." Uh, so I got up on stage. I was one of the eight that made it up on stage first, and uh, he taught us uh, different parts. He's like. So this, he split us into three groups, like, you, you, you'll do this, Anna, Anna, and then he'll, and then he'll go to the other group, Anna, Anna, and he would get a three-part bed of harmony going, and then he would, he would do a solo on top of it, <laughs> and he was doing it, and I was such a disciple of his mm. that... I started slapping my chest the way he slaps his chest <laughs> to get the tone. And he saw me doing that and he gave me an imperceptible little like, don't do that. <laughs> and I was so crushed. I was like, oh my God, of course I shouldn't do it. He's the sorcerer. I'm the sorcerer's assistant. I don't get to work that, that magic until much later. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I never spoke to him again. But he he did later like form a voice extra mm-hmm. of 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 people, and that I was just that was my dream. I wanted to be in his voice extra. But it's funny because he's so different than what I was really into at that time was like Ozzy Osbourne and and uh, Ronnie James Dio. But then I had this incredible jazz vocalist that was also my hero. Then, but in answer to your question, I didn't really rock and like perform rock uh, uh, until uh, even though I loved it until I was with Kyle. Partly because when I did try to rock, I felt ridiculous. Like I was like, this doesn't feel right like the people in the audience are not buying me as like a rock god i'm more of like a clown and that's why i was i really thrived with like musical theater or those kinds of productions where it was a little more i don't know silly and presentational and theatrical and and that's i think when when me and kyle started jamming and and making music we were both of that school of like theater and music together and uh and and once we realized oh we're we're funny rockers we can <laughs> rock if it's funny yeah it was it was the portal for sure that was the key to opening the door that yeah. was the way in we we had to let the audience know you know obviously we're not real <laughs> that was the only way to to, to make yeah. our dreams come true it's funny like how and I always like, you know, when the Chili Peppers started, we thought we were funny. <laughs> I don't know if, if we were more obnoxious than funny, but we thought we were funny. We, Legend, legendarily funny, though. With We would do parodies of songs, but it was more like, like Beavis and Butthead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I always felt like that with music, and maybe this relates to what you were just talking about, that it's hard, like comedy can't be taken seriously in music. Like for us, we would just get, oh, they're immature brats, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, fair enough, you know? (laughs) But like, I feel like everybody wants, you know, they want Neil Young and they want like the truth. They want the soul, the heart ripping open and the philosophical lesson and all that stuff. But for me, you know, a good old laugh is as important and poignant and as helpful to humanity as the most soul-searching, you know, poignant, profound truth. Here, here, I'm with yeah, you. Agreed. Absolutely. I remember one of our early shows we played, and uh, Sean Penn was in the audience. Do you remember that show when we played a show? It was like at the Dead Man Walking rap party. Oh yeah, or something. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Did we pl- mm-hmm. we played there right in New York? Yeah, that was where I was like, our... <laughs> and Sean was like, "That's oh, a funny man. movie. <laughs> you guys are great." He was like, you guys are great, but why are you, why are you joking around? Why don't you be serious? You guys could be like, you know, you could be like Pearl Jam or something. And we're like, what? <laughs> Look, Pearl Jam's great. We love Pearl Jam. Nothing against Pearl Jam, but yeah. no, not in a million years could we do that. And we wouldn't want to. That's not our vibe. That's not our, he, you don't get it, Sean. That's not <laughs> our magic. It's somebody else's magic you're talking about. But um, you know who another one that, that uh maybe uh suffered not being taken totally seriously was uh Frank Zappa. Mm. Yeah. Genius, but maybe he had a little bit too much funny for the genius police. They were like, "No. You won't <laughs> receive the credit of a great jazz master or because you yeah. you were too silly." 
yeah, and and maybe a little bit too much like virtuosity yeah. and like obtuse intelligence for the comedic crowd as well. Uh, too many notes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was same. Like I feel the same way about Captain Beefheart. Like, oh yeah. my God. you know, I love Beefheart so much, and people just, oh, it's weird. You know, where I get it. You know, it's not easy listening music, but for me, especially the the Frank Zappa produced Trout Mask Replica is one of the most like exciting, you know, artistic feats ever in recorded music history. Yeah. After the final break, the duo talks about getting their encouragement from Harry Shearer and how their collaborative power helped them both reach their full musical potential. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. When you started Tenacious D, what was your idea of what it was going to be? Did you think, because I think I have a feeling that you might be putting out a new album soon. Or did you think that this would be 30 years later, you'd be putting out a new album? Wow. Did we think that far ahead? I don't remember. Oh my God. Has it been 30 years since we started, Cage? Sure. Yeah. When did we start? When do you think we started? Uh, like 91, 92. Okay. So our very first performance was 91 at a little coffee shop that doesn't exist anymore called Highland Grounds. Flea will know that. In 91, dude. Was that 91? Yeah. Yeah. And guess who was in the audience that night? Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer, <laughs> legendary bass player of Spinal Tap, and he gave us a little nod of encouragement, and um, we only had one song, right? It was tribute, and, yeah, and like yeah. a, we did a couple covers. We did uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Find the Cost of Freedom. We didn't even know if we were going to have one album at that point. No. We were like, what was our goal? Our goal was just to no. get a laugh and like maybe, <laughs> maybe get laid, if we're being honest. Uh, no, but we wanted to make the best song in the world. That was our thing from the very beginning. It's like, let's write the best song in the world because we thought that would be funny if we wrote a song called The Best Song in the World and then we wrote it. We we couldn't write the best song. It, it, we got stuck on this concept and then we realized, wait, we did write it. We didn't write, we didn't record. We jammed it and it was, oh my God, that's the best song in the world. And we didn't record it. And so now we have to write the tribute to the greatest song in the world. And that little nugget, that little acorn of an idea sort of launched our whole vibe. And we've been chasing the dragon ever since, really. But um, what was our, our goal was just to play one more show. Yeah, every show was kind of the last. <laughs> and we would play 
it was kind of like we were like a Leonardo da Vinci with the Mona Lisa with tribute to the greatest song in the world. And we would carry that song around to different clubs and, and show that crowd. And we got great responses. And then after we caught fire, when uh, Bob and David gave us a break and, and said, Hey, you're really funny. You want to, you know, play a comedy club with us open for our comedy show. And so, yeah, comedy and music always went together for us in the in the the places we played and things we did. A lot of these stories and more are going to be available on Audible Words and Music. Oh yeah, that's what we got coming up next. We wrote a book, kind of. <laughs> we wrote a book. It's only Audible. Yeah, I know they want to call it Words and Music by Audible. Have you heard about this, Flea? Did you do one? I did a audio book of my book that I wrote, Acid for the Children. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, which is, you know, a title of a song by another comedy band called The Two Free Stooges. I don't know if you're familiar. No shit. With Manny oh. Chevrolet, featuring Manny Chevrolet and Dick Rude. Yeah. Did you enjoy that process of writing a book and recording it, too? I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. It was hard, like, writing it. I loved that just being in a creative process, which is something I really want to ask you about. But when I spoke it, um, it was really emotionally, like, wrenching for me. Wow. I could write it hmm. and just want to write really well. But then when I would speak the words, I couldn't get through like 30 seconds without sobbing like a little freak. Wow. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't say it without crying. Hmm. <laughs> so, but I, one question I wanted to ask you guys yeah. was regarding the creative process. When you think about music and you think about making music and, you know, whether you're going to do a new project or just go like dick around in your music room, do you think about it? From like a song standpoint, always, always from, oh, how would what I'm going to do fit inside of a song that can be part of Married to a Visual or something we can play together? Or is it ever just like, do you ever just practice just for like get into a feeling or just for the sake of like the technical aspect of playing, the technical aspect or the theoretical aspect of playing? Does that exist or no? Hmm. I think I've left, uh, now everything is just geared. Is Jack going to like this riff? I think, is this going to inspire? Oh, thank Jack? you for worrying about that. Uh, so I'm always kind of <laughs> tinkering around with that. Like, <laughs> is this a song? Because they seem really, they always seem like a little miracle when what happens, you know? So it's, it's always seems like cracking the code on a progression or something like that. Technically, I've always been pretty insecure. Like, I'm always like, Wow, I'm not even the best guitarist in my in my band, you know. <laughs> but I think, uh, but also I love. Uh, I'm kind of. I do love covers. I just always. It seems like uh, learning to songs that just give me so much pleasure. And if you kind of, it's like a code or something that you crack. Like, oh, yeah, it's like a riff. Like if you learn like, yeah. like a cool rock riff, it's like, whoa, I can't believe I can do that. The first time that happened was uh, was uh, Dust in the Wind, I remember. I was in high school, and that was kind of the hit. And I thought, wow, I think I can do this. Wait, this is... And then it just all of a sudden, it sounds like, you know, not sounds like the radio, but it's like, wow, that's incredible. I could, I could do that. Do you ever take it further and you feel like, okay, so I learned this song by this person that I really love, and I've kind of like, I understand how it works. Like, these notes go together to make this feeling. And then do you think, like, say it's like a you know, a Bob Dylan song, you go, oh, well, what did Bob Dylan like? 
and so look back at what he liked, what influenced him, and then yeah. study those people, and then go back and see what they liked, and like keep Woody Guthrie, study yeah. the lineage of it. Yeah, yeah. He was a Woody Guthrie nut. I'm a Woody Guthrie nut. Even tried to sound like him. Yeah. You know what though? We've done both of those things where I'm super cerebral, and I feel like I can't start to write a song until I know what it's going to be about. And then once we get the concept, that's like, oh, this this is a good concept, and I'll be like, what's What's a chord progression that, that sounds like what this idea is, you know? Or, but we've also done the other thing, like we'll have this chord progression that's just so juicy. And it's like, what are the words that these chords are trying to tell us to write? Yeah, yeah. What does it sound like? What's the mood of these chords? Yeah. And because chord, chord progressions have a mood. They can be angry. This is a protest song, obviously. You can hear the chord. Or no, this is about this or that. It's heavy. I feel like everybody has a different starting point. Like some people come purely from the words. Mm. Some people come purely from the riff. Mm. Some people come from, you know, where they can show off the best, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like every, it's always different. Both of you guys play music. You play music together. You write music. You have that feeling of collaborating together and putting songs together and you know, your shared perspective on humor and the world and metal and the mightiness of Satan. And, you know, that time when we're just like sitting alone, writing music and that feeling of being lost in the creative process. You both also act in films and your music is very theatrical, both of which are, you know, really different creative processes. But I'm wondering for each of you, is it the same? Like when you get lost in the thing, and ultimately I feel like as a musician or as an actor, you want to get yourself out of the way and kind of like channel the gods. You know, you want to let the parts in yourself be free to come out. And another side is for me anyway, like get out of the way and let, let the good shit happen. And I'm just wondering if those things connect. Are they the one and the same, just creative expression, or are they completely different? I don't know. I mean, when me and Cage are out there, it's not always, but sometimes when we're firing on all cylinders and we're in front of a crowd, it feels like, oh, my God, I think we are the best band in the world. <laughs> I, I think right now in this moment, I don't think this audience has ever seen anyone better than we are right now. <laughs> and, I, and I know that that's just a feeling that I have that every band has at some point. It feels like, oh, because we're tapping into that thing. That's beyond us. It's not, it's not really us. It's like, we're, oh, we're, we're in that groove. There's nothing better than that feeling when you get into that, you tap, it's like you jumped into a river or something It carries you, carries you through. And that's what you do it for. You keep on hoping to tap into that, to that magic. And yeah, if we get a funny riff going and it's acting and we're like jamming and, and, and doing a sketch that gets carried away and, and feels, that has the same kind of electricity to it. It's the magical powers of the arts. Let's just tell it like it is. <laughs> There's a, an underappreciated, I think, soul-healing beauty that can be tapped into. And it, yeah, it doesn't really matter which art form it takes, but uh, we, uh, it's, what, what is it? Flea, Flea, help me out here. I think the music, I can be kind of transcendent. It seems like almost like a magic trick or something, as opposed to acting, which is kind of like hitting your mark and doing it right. And, mm -hmm. and it seems a little more mechanical at times. 
No, but when it gets real, when all of a sudden it's real, when all of a sudden... Like when you disappear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you disappear and when we're out there and we're doing a bit where we're fighting and we're, we're actually going to quit. And then it's <laughs> all of a sudden it's real. It's like, oh, my God, wait, he really is angry. We really are breaking up. And it, there's a little bit of magic there that where time stops and you go into a trance. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when I am have my moments, you know, I, I, I'm playing, I kind of have the drool test. <laughs> like if I'm sitting there playing by myself and all of a sudden I realize I'm drooling mm. because I'm like so gone, you know what I mean? Beyond thought. And in that moment, I was just fucking being, you know, without trying to be or wanting to be or wishing I was or anything. Yeah. I'm just being. And, and it's like, that's when the best stuff always comes. It's when I'm at, at my best. And it, for me, you know, it's the thing that gives me meaning, like why I want to, like, that's, oh, this is, I actually was really living life there for a few minutes, you know? Yeah, it's sort of rare. Like, I always, like, I've acted, like, do, like, little parts in movies and stuff, and it was always kind of like, um, you know, I'd show up and have fun and play pretend, and, but there was a certain point I was like, there was this one little indie movie I did that was really important to me, and it was about, because I drew, I grew up in Hollywood with a, a heroin addict, jazz musician parent, and it was, the movie was about this girl my age who grew up in Hollywood with a heroin addict, jazz musician parent. Same time, same era, our parents probably played together, wow. even though we never figured that out. But it was really important to me. I played like the guy's junkie buddy, and I really wanted to do it good. It was like, I wanted to honor those guys, and it just resonated with me so much. I was like, I'm going to fucking learn how to act. And I went and got an acting coach, and I'm going to work on this, and I'm going to write the character journal every day, and I'm going to like really get into it. And through doing that work, I was like, oh, doing this work is like playing scales in music. You know, I play my scales, I do them. To get my fingers strong, so when it comes time for rocking, I don't have to think about any of the physical part or anything. I can just, you know, let the my heart open up and do what it's going to do, you know, as far as I can take it. And I felt like that was the same thing for acting. Like, oh, so then when the scene comes, I, I did all my works. So I don't have to worry about it. I can just let the moment take me and hopefully get swept away beyond like anything that I could be from my my measly brain. Then those things became the same to me, like the idea of acting and it came music became the same thing, which is like getting gone, you know? That's why I asked. Right. With the preparation, I think it's so, yeah, when you get it down, then you can really pass kind of the technical and let it go. Yeah, that's cool. You know what's funny to me is the connection between punk rock and and jazz, because there's, there's not a lot, not all of them, but there are a few bands that had deep appreciation of the jazz, like Minuteman. Did you ever see Minuteman or did you ever fuck with Minuteman back when you were just starting out? I saw them probably 50 times. Wow. You saw them more than anybody. And Chili Peppers opened up for Minuteman on numerous occasions. Wow. Okay. Pardon my ignorance, but yeah. So no, you... they were my, like for me, Double Nickels on a Dime is like Hell the greatest yeah. rock record ever made. Mike Watt yeah. on bass. Blowing like a, like a smokestack, just blowing. <laughs> but um, those dudes worship at the altar of uh, John Coltrane. Yeah, I remember they they would uh, they would talk about Mike Watt. Still talks about John Coltrane. Sometimes I'll see him like post a little thing like "Happy Birthday, John Coltrane." He's like stay stays 
loyal to that er, those early like and I know that you've got deep jazz roots and it's funny because you guys ended up going into these punk rock like uh veins that sound not they're not jazz but there's you guys have those jazz roots and it's funny because when you look at the jazz audience it's such a tiny little sliver compared to the other popular music genres but the influence that they had on on you and and other punk rockers is interesting to me yeah and i i believe that uh your father-in-law rest in peace charlie hayden yeah, legend. He played with with the Minutemen at Al's Bar one night. What? I think not Al's Bar. They played at a little guitar shop in Santa Monica McCabe's? called McCabe's. Yeah, yes. McCabe's. That's right. They That's played right. McCabe's. Did you ever play McCabe's? Mm, no, I went to. I saw shows there, but I never played there. You know, when you brought up Coltrane just now, I I just have to say this, even though it's got nothing to do with anything. But but Chili Peppers played this huge stadium show. You know, it's a big show. We're rocking out. And I have this friend that I made who, who over the past couple of years, who spent most of his life in prison and, um, you know, grew up in a real rough area and, you know, just really been through it, you know, and he's this beautiful, sweet guy. He's like come to this place in his life where I think he's so profound and sweet and, but he had never really been to a rock concert before. And he went to the CS play. And afterwards, I was talking to him on the phone. I was like, you know, I wondered what he thought, you know. And he was like, man, he's like, you know, when I was a kid, I, I would hear the, the jazz greats, like Coltrane and stuff. And I really liked the way their fingers moved around on the, on the instruments. And they were blowing and always like yearning to like play this wild stuff to really be free. And he goes, it did something to me when I was a kid. And I always loved it. And he goes, I haven't had that feeling since I was a kid. And I had that tonight. Wow. watching you guys play and oh, seeing you guys like, go for it like that. I was so, he just kept talking about like with the most unbridled enthusiasm about the riffs and the solos and the, we jam a lot, you know, we do a lot of improvisation and it was like the greatest compliment I ever got in my life. Yeah. Like just for someone, you know, to really, like it was, do you have that feeling? It's like, oh, I'm playing music and it's great. But once in a while it feels like, oh, I'm really doing something worthwhile, you know, felt like that and talked about Coltrane. It was cool. Yeah. Um, here's a question for both of you guys. For kids who are starting out playing music and all different flavors, some want to be classical violinists, some want to be rappers, some want to be Jimmy Page, some want to be, you know, play sousaphone in an orchestra. I'm just wondering uh, if you have any advice for young people beginning to have a career playing music. Uh, just don't, I think just, just go into computers and just what? be a DJ. I think Kyle? that's where the money, that's, that's the not money what is. kids yeah. need to hear. No, music, just music don't. Is dead. Music is dead. Yeah. Stop practicing. Yeah. Kyle, stop. It's been taken over by computers. Okay. Computer. Listen, <laughs> there will always segway, be segway. music. It is, <laughs> it is a changing landscape though. It's true. It, music is not dead, but the. The way that people take it in and the way that people make it is, is is changing rapidly. In terms of just like the magic of of starting to play, I say find a collaborator. You know, find your Kyle Gas. That's what that's what launched my my renaissance was when I found the right collaborator. Because for years I tried and failed and tried and failed, and it wasn't until I found that that other half if you will and me and cage and it started really more as a friendship than really a, a music collaboration 
but you were teaching me how to play guitar and we were just hanging and and all of our songs came out of this sort of like uh just hanging out and having spirit of of hanging out and having fun we weren't really thinking about like oh we're yeah. going to have a, we're going to be rock stars we're going to be famous <laughs> if we do this long enough it wasn't about that it was like we were making each other laugh and we did have an idea we're going to put on a show it's going to be fun when we do this in front of people <laughs> but it wasn't yeah. really about there was a point i remember because we really did play a lot in the apartment and it took kind of years to get the nerve but I thought, you know, we're too good to stay home, I think, at this point. We've got to take this out somewhere. But everyone does it differently. Every, there's no way to, to say this is what you should do, because some people, you know, they'll they'll write write lyrics first, and some people will write music first. And I think the thing that helped early on was just copying our favorite music, you know, learning, doing covers and, and playing our favorite jams. Great way to learn how to play your instrument is to, well, you know, like I wanted to learn Pink Panther because I love that song. Just learn the songs you love and then it'll lead to something probably. Well, that would be some advice. I think, yeah, just go right to the music that you're super passionate about. I think sometimes people get young people or whatever get caught up in like, you know, reading music or classical if they're not that into it or band music. But, you know, whatever's floating your boat. I think all the greats start off by just copying other other greats, you know? They start off with the, like... Yeah. It's the art. It's the reinterpretation. Interpretation. And then, now, the, the real advice for, like, in terms of, like, getting some uh, traction in the industry, this is not what you wanted to hear, but I'm going to tell you anyway. TikTok. Yeah, you got you to, gotta like, uh, make some magic on, on the social medias. Make it visual. Because people need to have a visual that is married to the music. And if you can find some cool way to combine those artistic expressions, it can be combustible. All right, you guys. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Flea. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tenacious D. Thank you so much for listening to This Little Light, a podcast about music education that exists to serve the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with editing and engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself. Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.